0: My wife was probably more anxious about all this than I was. For me, it was another adventure. It was something I was definitely going to go into. And I was confident of of the hospital. I was confident of the surgeon and the surgical team.
1: It was a case of, come on then, let's get on with it, because I'm going to die a horrible death unless I take your expert advice. They said whether I had
2: a a prostatectomy or the radiotherapy. You know, please yourself; it's entirely up to you. Um, And that was that was quite interesting because that was you know for most of us we'd say that's the major decision that you have to make, with implications all the way down the line. And that's when digging around and finding information became most
1: important. Whether or not to have surgery, in Donald's case, a prostatectomy to remove his prostate is one of the biggest decisions a cancer patient will make during the course of their treatment. A great number of variables will inevitably factor into that choice. Your surgeon's advice, the various risks and potential side effects, and an infinite number of personal considerations. Today, you'll hear from several different patients about how they made that choice and the reasons that informed their decisions. Now what? Your Cancer Support Podcast is an NHS podcast series where you'll hear frank and honest accounts from over a dozen cancer patients about their experiences with a disease that at some point, directly or indirectly, affects us all. Consider them your peer support network. I'm your host, Julia Bradbury. In 2021, I became one of the 375,000 people who are diagnosed with cancer in the UK every year. I know firsthand what it's like to have your life suddenly upended by this disease and the havoc it can wreak on your body, mind, and everything in between. I also know that with a little bit of luck and a lot of expertise, that surviving cancer isn't just possible, it's becoming more and more likely with every passing year. If you're listening to this podcast, it's likely that you or someone you love has recently received a cancer diagnosis. No doubt you've got questions, and lots of them. Our hope is that this series can provide you with some answers. Our peers come from a wide variety of backgrounds. One thing that they all have in common? First-hand experience with cancer in its many shapes and forms. So think of us as your cancer support group, just in audio form. Today's topic of discussion, deciding to have surgery. Meeting your surgeon can sometimes be like going on a first date and it comes with all the usual associated anxieties. Are the two of you compatible? Will you be on the same page about what you want out of the relationship? Most importantly, are you speaking the same language? Making sure you understand what your surgeon is proposing, as well as finding the time to ask any questions you might have in the short time frame you're allotted, can sometimes be a daunting prospect. Donald's advice?
2: Take notes. Always go with a pen and paper and uh, scribble down bits and pieces
1: because I realise that not everything's going to stick first time round. Donald from Orpington, Kent learnt that he had prostate cancer in April 2022. It was important to him that he wasn't a passive participant in his cancer treatment, that he did the best he could to keep himself up to speed with the particulars of his treatment plan at every stage of the process.
2: With all of the things, with it, with every step of the way, I've found it useful for me to have a good idea of what's going on. I think being well informed as a patient, and that might involve yourself doing a fair bit of digging around. Uh, to me, it, it it's been helpful because you 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 may still be a step or two behind the uh, the professionals, but it's better than being ten steps behind and not having a clue what's going on. Thankfully,
1: Donald didn't have to make the decision on his own.
2: A lot of conversations with my wife um, and uh, a lot of reading of the literature that had been given. And I can't stress that enough. Um, Both um, Personally, you can imagine my own gratitude to my wife is is beyond words. Uh, In terms of having someone else to bounce
1: ideas off that you can trust, Having loved ones accompany you to the clinic visits can help to ease any stress brought on by the surgery planning process and help to divide the labour of retaining the barrage of information coming your way in two. If you don't have someone to help you with that emotional labour, there are resources available. People in a hospital setting whose job it is to help talk you through your options. To find out more about those, follow the links in our show notes. Because having
2: that extra voice, that sounding board, uh, is quite useful
3: if you haven't got family to talk with at the hospital they have holy people or spiritual people from every walk, whether they're an iman a rabbi, a priest, a pastor, go to them because I remember being having chemo and a priest would come into the um the chemo um area and arts, you know, just to sit and just have a little chat, which was, I was quite shocked when I saw that person the first time. But they're there, there's always somebody to talk with.
1: Wendy was blown away by the sheer variety of non-medical counsel that was on offer at her hospital. For her, it was a relief to know that it was available should she need it. And when all else fails...
3: Sometimes just talk to yourself and you're not going mad. But sometimes you have to just analyse things, talk to yourself, go within that headspace, try and figure it out and just know that there's so many people out there that's going through what you're going through and it will pass.
1: Our decision-making process for most of the choices we make on a day-to-day basis lies in the middle ground between experience and instinct. For Donald, it was important that a choice of this magnitude wasn't one he made based on gut feeling alone. I must admit that my initial reaction
2: was I don't fancy the surgery, but it sounded more like the idea of uh, if you have a bad tooth, you go to the dentist, the dentist takes the tooth out, and that's the end of the problem. And in my naivety, uh, that's what I was gravitating towards. Uh, So even before I got sort of dug in into the information uh, I was tending to that way you know it was a it was a one-off event uh, in one day out the next and uh, and then patch yourself up that compared to my perception of the radiotherapy which was a much more prolonged course of treatment which which I didn't I just fancied getting it over and done with to be honest I can look back now and say that was quite naive, but I don't regret the decision because there was several, there was another factor that came into it. And this was something that uh, just reinforces for me the the benefit of the patient doing his own research and reading all the small print. I also happen to be a celiac and one of the consequences of that is osteoporosis and I have osteoporosis, weakening of the bone structure. Uh, when i was reading the literature uh, it became apparent that some of the medication the hormone replacement therapy i think that it uh, that's involved as part of the radiotherapy also has the effect of weakening the bone structure so i thought well this is a double whammy so far as i'm concerned which, which reinforced frankly my decision to uh, to go for the prostatectomy donald appreciates that this approach isn't for everyone some people i know are happy to say well, what the doctor says goes and I'll just swallow it and, and away we go. I've always been happier with, with knowing what's up. It's, it's my body, you know, at the, end, at the end of the day, I'm the one that's got to live with it.
1: While doing your own independent reading and research can be of benefit, what's also very important is clear communication between you and your treatment team. If there are questions you have, side effects you might be concerned about, or things you just plain don't understand, the best solution is to seek an additional session with your surgeon or clinical nurse specialist. They're the people best placed to help you understand your treatment. And the more you know, the less there will be to fear. Muki's surgery journey started with a persistent cough that try as she might, she couldn't shake.
4: Never smoked in my entire life. And if anything, you know, I've been doing sports my entire life. I mean, knock on wood, if I get a cold, it's gone in a day or two. Kind of a thing, you know, kind of used like, okay, this isn't right. What's going on? So I got it, just went to my GP. They said, okay, why don't you go get a chest x ray? And what they found was shading on my right lung, but nowhere
1: else, anywhere else. Mookie, an American born creative technologist based in Lewisham in southeast London, underwent months of testing hoping against hope that it was just a particularly aggressive chest infection before a biopsy revealed it was something altogether more serious. And the solution that was proposed to her really knocked her for six.
4: So when the biopsy results came back, he was so excited to tell me we have a solution. Oh, great, what's that? We remove the right lung. What? <laughs> so I'm about, I'm like, fell over, like, what? And my husband's there, like, what?
1: After her initial shock wore off, Mookie was able to take in what her surgeon was telling her.
4: In my brain, I I clicked within two seconds going, well, yes, this is what he does for a living. (laughs) You know, (laughs) your car breaks down, you get a mechanic. Your your toilet breaks, you get a plumber. This is a doctor. He does this. This is what he does for a living. So I'm like, okay. And then he reassured me with a... you know, I had, I operated on somebody for, it was a 30 something with lung cancer and she's back running with their dog on the beach. I operated on so-and-so, they're now 90 years old and da da And he wasn't boasting, he was just kind of putting put me at ease. I think I'm like, okay, when can we do it? I, and I kind of just went, right. Because then there wasn't that fear of the unknown.
1: Fear of the unknown is common when faced with such significant changes to one's life. For some people, they manage this fear through diving into information gathering. However, sometimes fear can block us from demystifying the process. Addressing the mystery or the gaps in your knowledge with your surgeon can be helpful in enhancing your sense of control. For Mookie, after the decision had been made to go ahead with the procedure, in this case a pneumonectomy, she felt the need to take charge of her role in proceedings.
4: Once you know what needs to happen, then the kind of balls in your court to make sure that you're helping the doctors as much as possible to be have a successful surgery.
1: And for the health-conscious Mookie, that involved making sure she was in the best possible condition in the run-up to her operation.
4: So I was treating it like a long-distance run of, like, what needs to happen between these miles, what needs to happen between this time, what are the kind of break times I need to get, or what do I need to be doing, to prepare myself for this surgery. And it was just all my own kind of kooky mind making these choices, <laughs> these decisions. You know, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go get buff. It was just like, you know, doing more yoga, doing a bit of running, so just staying physically fit and feel like I was a little bit stronger. And for me, that's always helped me my entire life. Being physically stronger helps me to be mentally stronger and know that I can go in ready and be fit for the surgery.
1: Surgery of any kind can take a toll on your body, so taking measures to ensure you're in the best possible shape is highly recommended. But of course, embarking on a new exercise regime when you've just found out you're more vulnerable than you've ever been at any point in your life is easier said than done. It can be particularly intimidating for patients who might not have been very active to begin with. Some hospitals may offer physiotherapy support, It's daunting to do something on your own, far less so when you're guided every step of the way. Discuss with your doctor what a realistic regime for you to follow would look like. And if you have concerns, don't hesitate to express them. That preparation can be anything, like training specific muscles the way Jad did before his prostate surgery
0: surgeon suggested uh, that that i i look up pelvic floor exercises and I, I i do those regularly i think that was a very good idea that was that was tremendously important in preserving urinary function uh, after the surgery
1: to something as simple as getting out for a daily walk which admittedly was more complex for john given that he was self-quarantining during a global pandemic at the time
2: i've got a small back garden, a bit of a front bit. So I was walking round the back garden. I had a route round the back garden, down the side, round the front, round back, down the side, round the back garden to do my 10,000 steps. The chap opposite was having his house completely redone. And there was this big lorry turned up delivering something or other. But the chap, to receive it hadn't been arrived and I was conscious of this guy sitting in the cab other than that and I was just, you know, carrying on doing my walking and he, he was there for some while. Anyway, at one stage I got to the front, he came to the middle of the road and shouted across to me, he says, here yeah, mate, he says, you're making me feel tired.
1: <laughs> There's also the matter of what you're putting into your body in the days and weeks leading up to the surgery to consider.
0: I had to uh, go easy on the alcohol was uh, the, the, the thing because I, I'm used to drinking most evenings wine with, with dinner and it's probably a good idea to, to, to ease up on the alcohol and have some alcohol-free days.
1: Another factor Mookie had to ponder was how undergoing surgery would affect her ability to earn a living. The procedure she was contemplating would leave her out of action for a long period of time.
4: I have to mention, you know, planning ahead financially too, because I'm a self-employed, you know, independent business owner, and that was really hard. And there's nothing worse than like being worried about money. And do you know what I mean? And it's, it's so important to kind of just plan ahead and, you know, do what you need to do to make sure that you can pay the bills. And, and if you can't ask for help ahead of time, and, you know, if you are fully employed, then you've got the. You know, you're in a much better advantage of having uh, paid paid sick leave, but I didn't have that as a, as a business owner. But I think it's important that that is not one more thing to add to your stress. It's almost like having somebody house sit for you, who's going to water the the garden, who's going to feed the dogs or the cat. You know, really planning ahead to have somebody you trust help you with that. Or if you just are a one person show, make sure you set aside some savings to pad it out in the event that your local council will not give you any help because there's a great chance you're not going to get any financial help at all. I volunteer for Macmillan actually, and I know that they've got, and a lot of the cancer charities have uh, like helplines to help you support with financial things, but it's a bit of admin, it's a bit of paperwork, but just plan ahead if you think that you would need it and then at least you got it ready. You might not, you might not need it at all, you know, but I think it's important that, That is not one more thing to add to your stress.
1: In the end, Mookie had her surgery and it was a great success. In fact, she makes a point of toasting her hardworking single lung and the work of her surgeon annually.
4: I call it my awesome lung, by the way. And every year I kind of have an international awesome lung day party and drinks to celebrate my awesome lung.
1: When considering whether or not to go down the surgical route, a good rule of thumb is to consider what you value in your life going forward and how surgery may impact that. For Sirdar, who found out that he had prostate cancer in December 2017, electing to move forward with a prostatectomy meant that he'd no longer be able to have children. Working out whether or not going under the knife was the right option for him was no small task. His first course of action research, and lots of it.
5: I spent those two months, basically, a, trying to find out what the disease was, what all these different terminology meant, you know, browsing the internet, reading, doing lots of reading on the internet.
1: But for Sirdar, his own independent deep dive only proved to be useful to a point.
5: Unfortunately, it was like trying to find a needle in a forest. If you see what I mean, okay? There was so much knowledge, okay, and when you're not familiar with the substance of it all, then uh, you know you, you tend to read everything that comes your way. It reaches a stage whereby you're you're like overflown with, with knowledge. Not all of it is correct.
1: When doing your own research, it's vital that you glean your information from verified sources only. For a list of those, you can refer to our show notes. Sirdar also made sure to get more than one opinion on his situation.
5: Apart from my own consultant, I also saw other consultants. And I spent those two months effectively, A, to find out about the disease and B, to choose the best way to go forward.
1: He was weighing up two different routes of treatment radiotherapy or a procedure known as a radical prostatectomy.
5: In terms of radical prostatectomy, the main advantage is the fact that they take your prostate out, basically, so you get rid of the cancerous organ in your body. Okay, so you don't have to rely on a radiotherapy, for example, okay, which I think. It uh, shrinks the, uh, the tumour, but it doesn't really get rid of it completely.
1: Sirdon made the decision the only way he knew how, by treating it as a logical problem to be solved, just like when dealing with any difficult task in his day job as a computer scientist come entrepreneur
5: I saw it as a project for me. I thought to myself, OK, the only way for me to be able to deal with it rationally would treat it as a project.
1: One of the most important considerations were the potential risks. Now, in terms
5: of the side effects, obviously uh, uh, the main side effect of uh, uh, having a radical prostatectomy is the fact that uh, you basically lose lots of things from your manhood, so to speak. You run the risk of no longer getting any erections, that's one thing. You basically no longer uh, produce semen, or are able to produce semen, because the prostate goes away. Which means that uh, you can no longer reproduce following a uh, uh, radical prostatectomy. And that took me uh, quite some time to, to digest.
1: I had no immediate plans to have more children. He'd done that already and had a son, now in his twenties. At the same time, he didn't want to rule that out entirely either.
5: Not being able to reproduce anymore afterwards bugged me, to be honest with you. I thought to myself, well, okay, I've got one child, fair enough, but what if I uh, come across uh, somebody who I love so much that I uh, may want another child from? So, you know, I thought to myself, I was like going back and forth in my mind and which, when I uh, mentioned that to my healthcare people, my consultants, for example, uh, they said, "Well, they said, Sarah, don't worry about it. You, why don't you leave some uh, uh, your semen sample, which we can preserve for you, and if you uh, if you ever want to have another child, we can use that." I looked at them and said, "Well, you're going to be joking, man. You know this is not just." Uh, you know, you're not, you're not baking a cake in the kitchen whereby you need some ing- ingredients, you know. There are lots of other things uh, to go with, uh, with uh, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, making a child.
1: Another major factor in Serdar's decision about surgery was his relationship with the person who would be holding the scalpel or at the very least, manning the controls of the highly sophisticated robot holding the scalpel.
5: You have to gain confidence in the person that you're going to leave your life into their hands. You know, that is very important.
1: When talking to his surgeon, Sirdar made sure to leave no stone unturned.
5: I basically bombarded the poor guy with all these questions anyway. And I guess he also liked me and respected me as a person, so he was very uh, patient with me all along. (laughs) My sort of like final questions, just before I made my my mind up, I was gonna let them know what I was uh, wanting to do. My last question to him was, (laughs) how many um, uh, radical prostatectomies have you done so far in your career? He said, I can't give you a precise figure, he said, but he said, uh, hundreds. I said, OK. I said, uh, well, how
1: many, how many of them dead? <laughs> it may seem like a potentially inappropriate question to ask your doctor, but I was well within his rights to ask it. And the fact that he was comfortable enough to do so showed that he and his surgeon were on the right track.
5: He was actually very uh, calm and collected about it because anybody else would pro- turn around and swear at me or something. But uh, yeah, he said none. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, whatever.
1: At the end of the day, there are a myriad of factors to consider when deciding whether or not to have surgery. Ultimately, your choice will stem from your own personal values. If surgery will prevent you from doing something that's important to you in the long term, it might not be the right option. Sometimes being faced with decisions like these can help you to evaluate what's most important to you in life. Once you've identified what that is, the best path to take will follow. On the next episode of Now What? Your Cancer Support Podcast, our topic of discussion will be the hospital environment.
3: Hospitals
1: are fabulous places when you're really ill, but really they're like prisons otherwise. Now What? Your Cancer Support Podcast is an NHS podcast produced by What's the Story Sounds. It's hosted by me, Julia Bradbury. For more information on the topics discussed in today's episode, as well as links to additional resources, please check out our show notes. This series was created by the leading cancer specialists at Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital and their patients, whose personal testimony you'll hear on this and every other episode of the podcast. We're beyond grateful for their contributions. Donald, Jad, John, Mookie, Sirdar, Teresa and Wendy were the peers who featured on this episode. This episode was produced and edited by Jack O. Kennedy. Executive producers are Daryl Brown, Sophie Ellis, Stephanie Fraser, Naomi Good, Zainab Noor, Jessica Nyman, and Julia Tadeo. special thanks to Placida Oginaka, Abiola Coker, Evan Russell, and Guy's Cancer Charity.